Welcome to Unleashed at Work and Home, the show dedicated to helping veterinarians, vet techs, dog trainers, shelter and rescue workers, pet sitters, and all the other animal-crazy pet professionals manage their stress and find more joy. I'm your host, Colleen Pilar, and I'm thrilled you're here with us today. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your favorite app so that you won't miss a single episode. This episode is brought to you by our free community, the Circle of Resilient and Thriving Pet Professionals. If you like the ideas shared here, then you're invited to continue the conversation with other lifelong learners in the community. You can find out more at colleenpilar.com slash community. It's the perfect place for you to learn cool stuff, feel good, and take action to create the life you love. Come join us. My guest today is Mike Shikashio, the owner and founder of AggressiveDog.com. And Mike is really known for his work with aggressive dogs. And so I invited him on today to talk about, you guessed it, aggression. So Mike, what drew you to working with aggression in particular? So I I was doing a lot of fostering and, and rescue work really early on in my career and wanted to just help dogs with the behavior issues because that's what you start getting as you're foster parent and we start taking more foster dogs. <laughs> and I noticed one of the main reasons for owner surrenders and dogs uh, ending up in shelters or worse was because of aggression issues, whether they're minor or severe. I, I found that those are the dogs I really wanted to help. So I started diving deep into learning more about aggression and that's kind of how it's shaped my path. It's something I've just wanted to focus on exclusively. And so for about the last seven years, I've been doing strictly aggression cases and nothing else, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, which has been an interesting journey for sure. Yeah. And so what are some of the basic misunderstandings people have about aggression? Well, there's there's quite a few that come up in, in when I'm working with clients. I think um, one of the, the things is trying to set realistic expectations and goals for clients because you're going to have a wide range of expectations and goals. They're going to go anywhere from I just want my dog who's, you know, uh, been seven people to be the next therapy dog I have and which might not necessarily be realistic in their case. And others, you have the opposite end where it's their dog is maybe just barking or growling or growls near a brand new uh, meaty bone that they just brought home. And they think it's just the most terrible thing in the world when their dog growls at them and they, they just want, they can't, they're just shocked and they need to get rid of the dog. And so oftentimes I come in and most of my job in a lot of those cases is to really define and, and keep it objective what's going on why the dog is doing that so those are that's just some of the misconceptions i see and i think uh, there, there needs to be an expectation that you know we never cure aggression right mm-hmm. it's it's behavior we can reduce the likelihood of it reduce the frequency of it make things better for the dog improve their quality of life improve the owner's quality of life but there's got to be an expectation or a realistic uh, look at aggression that it's it's behavior it's always there it's, it's, but we just want to make it less likely for the dog to need to reach for any kind of aggressive behavior. Yeah. And I think that point is really important, particularly for the audience of Unleashed at Work at Home, because we're always talking about behavior from the human perspective. And when we're trying to um, 
show up in the world a little bit better than we did yesterday. Sometimes we backslide into old habits and go, oh no, I failed. But it really is behavior that always exists. But the more we can create realistic expectations and start to change other behaviors around it and create an environment that supports, then we're less likely to see that other, what we're not eradicating behavior that exists. We're kind of replacing it. Right. I use, yeah, I use a ton of analogies when I'm talking to clients when I'm looking at the human component of things because people often understand other people that just, they don't understand dogs. And it isn't it interesting too, like I'm sure you've had clients that are, have a psychology background or work in human, the human side of the equation. And then you start talking about the stuff with dogs and things like operant conditioning or classical conditioning. They're like, that totally makes sense because that's what I do with humans. I just never thought about it with mm-hmm. my own dog. And the parallels are so similar. Now, I don't like to anthropomorphize things, uh, which we're attributing human characteristics to dogs, but I think we can, in a lot of circumstances, make parallels and analogies for clients, especially when it comes to aggression and things like, especially right now during the pandemic, I'm explaining a lot of people are stressed and they're more likely to react aggressively towards certain things that happen in their life. And dogs are very much the same when it comes to stacking of stress and things that make it more likely for them to exhibit undesirable behavior. So I think the humans that I work with grasp that once I start explaining, it's just like us, just like people. Yeah. And, and stress is such a huge component in aggression, which I think people mostly understand for people, but often don't understand at all for dogs. How do you help them see that? Again, I go right back to the analogies. I'll say, you know, if you were just driving home from work and you had somebody, you know, cut you off and flip you the bird. And and then, so you're going to be a little bit angry. And then that happens again and with another driver. And then you get home and your partner's like, you know, do the dishes and, and you all these stressors out of the house is a mess. It's the same thing can happen for dogs. So we take them for a walk and the dog in the yard comes out screaming at them, barking, barking, lunging right through the, at the end of the invisible fence. And that dog's like, the dog we're walking is like, well, that was stressful. And then it happens again. It's the same thing. So the dog's being yelled at by other dogs. Then they get home and maybe the kids are taking away the toys from the dog or trying to ride it like a horse or something like that. And it's stacking of stressors. And so stress can certainly play a role. And I'm, and I'm certainly seeing an influx of those cases now where it's either owner-directed aggression or aggression that's increasing in frequency due to the number of stressors in the dog's life. Yeah. It's it's really interesting how it can be hard for us sometimes to stop and look at what the stresses are in someone else's life when they're so very apparent in our own life. Like We're really clear on our own trigger stacking and we can see how everything adds up. But with others, we sometimes don't see. I did a session with a vet clinic a week ago and shared a list of what we called hidden burdens. I had asked in my group, you know, tell me some of the things that you're thinking about worrying about that maybe the people around you don't know you're thinking you're worrying about. And I had this long list, like 50 things. And I just asked this team to just mark off mark off anything that feels like something that you've worried about in the last week. And their numbers were really, really high. And when we were talking about it, it was sort of the idea of that I might know one or two things that's going on in your life. And I'd say, oh, you know, Michael's really worried because he's been so busy lately. And also, you know, helping his son with something. So I know these things, but I don't know that you're worried about your aunt and you're not really sure if your credit card bill has been paid and all those other pieces that play into um, stress that 
that we're all carrying around all the time. And when we're trying to show up with other people as our best self, how, how do you recommend people show up in a way that decreases aggression? Obviously, you usually do it when they're talking about aggression between human and dog. But what are your sort of general philosophies that, that apply to both? I think empathy is the name of the game for me, you know, with both the client and the dog. Uh, when I'm working with people, I need to make sure I'm coming with an empathetic point of view because I need they, they're going through a stressful time. And I don't know, just like you were talking about, I don't know what's going on in the client's life besides yeah. just the dog issue. So I, I, you know, everybody has things going on in their life again, especially now. So if we come in there saying with a point of view that it's, you got to fix your dog and you've got to focus on the dog 100%, that's not being fair or empathetic to what their personal needs are. So um, I think it's really important. And then the, on the other side of the coin is observation. Really, you get good, if you can get good at observing people and as well as the dogs, you can get, you can read something sometimes, just like, you know, when you start reading dogs, as you know, uh, you start to pick up on the subtle things. And I think the same thing can happen with people if we become good at observing body language and kind of the little tells that tell you something else is going on. And I do that a lot, definitely during the, when I'm doing the history taking process with clients is you can get little tells or little uh, communication happening between the partners and the relationship and things like that. You can really pick up on those things. So by doing that though, we can shift our own gears to make sure we are, again, being empathetic to their needs. So I might steer the questioning to find out, tell me a little bit more about that, or how do you feel about that? Those are questions I often use with clients to gather a little bit more information that they might be hesitant on telling me about. So, yeah. Yeah. And tell me a little bit more and how do you feel are both such nice open-ended beginnings for questions that um, keep any sense of judgment out you know like why why do you feel this way is a very different question than how do you feel about um so that can help people feel safe to tell you a little bit more that they hadn't told you before absolutely so i think how exactly the words you use and how you phrase them is really important so um i i you know empathy is one of the keys is mirroring what the client says so if if they're saying it's this is just driving me crazy this is stressing me out best thing to do is say, you know, this must be very stressful. I'm, I'm, I can see that this has had a big impact on your life. So tell me more about, you know, how you're feeling about those impacts. And then that kind of steers the conversation without saying, you got to take your dog out more. You're not doing enough. You're not doing that. <laughs> criticizing. Nobody, that, that's going to shut down the conversation, I find, often. So I like to keep the door open where they feel like they want to give me that information, not hide it from me because they don't, they're worried about criticism. Yeah. So tell me, what are the benefits of aggression? Obviously, this is a very powerful behavior, so it must work. What does it do for us? That's a really good question. It's, you know, most of the time we're using aggression, whether whatever species is using aggression and uh, to, to, for self-preservation to, to because of a threat, something that is they're finding threatening. So it's usually 
the underlying motivation is fear of that threat. But that's not always the case. So fear is making up the vast majority of aggression cases, but we might have other underlying motivations for using aggression. It can be frustration, not being able to complete a certain task. So we take our frustration on. We often see that with humans throwing something or slamming the table. That's a frustration. So it's kind of displaced aggression. Uh, you might see it happen in, in even jealousy or, or competition over a resource. So um, I'm one to believe that jealousy exists in dogs. And there's been a couple of recent studies that sort of back that up. But uh, it's, it can be jealousy. The dog or the human is not getting something and they see somebody else getting it. So they might use aggression to gain access to that resource. And we see that with dogs sometimes. And sometimes it's protecting a resource that we already have. And we've seen a whole lot of that during the pandemic, haven't we? With oh, yeah. <laughs> toilet paper and hand sanitizer. And you see these videos of people using aggression towards each other for these for priority, ac priority access to those resources. So, um, you know, I think uh, aggression has its benefits for the person using the aggress aggressive behavior. Uh, but of course, there's the consequences. So just like there's consequences for people, there's consequences for dogs for using aggression. Unfortunately, dogs aren't always aware of those consequences. Right. Um, so it's, uh, it's interesting. So and, and then I should also mention that a lot of the human underlying motivations uh, are not the same with dogs. So dogs experience a certain level of emotions, but not quite as complex as humans, of course. One of those being guilt. And I did want to mention that guilt. Uh, doesn't exist in dogs and we often see that on youtube and facebook or you know the guilty dog book yeah. <laughs> so did want to just throw that out there in terms of when we're talking about underlying emotions and uh, those kind of things happening with dogs yeah i think that's a really important point and and hopefully most of the unleashed at work at home listeners know that because they're all pet professionals but it is a very commonly misunderstood concept where you know the, we, he knew he did wrong and he feels guilty about it and all of these things that we have um, but it was interesting while you were talking about the various um, causes for aggression when you were talking about frustration that that is a big one for me like if I get frustrated with something then I'm just like snarky um, mostly at myself and what's happening on I'm like I typically am not diffusing it too far out uh, but it's a really good sign for me that I have too much stress going on where I'm just like this pen won't work Woo, oh, okay okay <laughs> and that's that is like leakage it's coming out in other ways um, a little bit of just life dealing with people and so I think people are having a lot of that leakage right now in that we are all, we've all been stressed for quite a while. First off, pet professionals were pretty stressed out before the pandemic. So the rates of burnout and compassion fatigue were super high. The people who were staying up way too late answering emails and writing reports, so common. And then we thought, well, let's make it a little bit more exciting and we'll throw a pandemic on and then maybe have some protests and just kind of make our whole worlds go crazy. So when you're when you're looking at aggression as the big piece and thinking about pet professionals in particular what tips do you have for people just kind of to get through their day just like how to avoid triggering others and how to manage their own i think that's a very deep Big question because question. there's a lot that could happen. <laughs> I think uh, I think self awareness is important. First, uh, uh, being able to understand what is 
causing you to feel a certain way if you're feeling frustrated or sad or, or uh, maybe even having imposter syndrome in a certain case. I think assess, self-assessment to, de- to determine why you might be feeling that way and taking a step back uh, is, is first and foremost, because if we don't know why we're feeling frustrated or sad or angry about something, then it, we might not address the problem correctly. So um, I, I, I say also is that you know, we're all doing the best we can with the information we have. Um, that's a favorite saying that Dr. Chris Packle also uses. Yeah. So it's, I think that's one way of going in. When I go to see a client, despite all the things that can go wrong, so, you know, they're not listening to you, they're not participating in the session, you know, and they're sort of uh, complaining about everything, not doing much. I'm going in there. I have a certain task and job to do, and that is to give, to do the best I can with the information I have give that them that information and let them take that information and do what they want with it. Cause that's what they're hiring me to do is give them the best that I can. And that's what I always promise myself. So if I know I'm walking in there, giving myself hundred percent and I walk out of there knowing I've given myself hundred percent, then I can rest easy at night knowing that I've performed my duties that I was hired for. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's, it's very easy to, for, for, especially for animal professionals who care about their animals so much to to kind of second guess, did I do enough there? Did I do right for that animal? Yeah. Well, we do have to remember we're going in there as professionals, and that's the key word, to help a client with the information we have. What they do with it from there, that's on them. You know, I, I meet them halfway, but I think it's important that they're, because as you know, the fastest way to burn out or compassion fatigue is if we're getting, if we're giving 80% and they're giving 20 or 90, 10, when those yeah. ratios are off, it's a fast we're just digging that hole deeper so i'm a 50 you know 51 49 guy i give 51 percent of my efforts they give me 49 percent back and that's that's why i will continue to give them just a little bit more than they're giving me back rather than me doing all of it so Mm -hmm. very important as i think to answer your question uh is is that in that regard and the other side of the coin too um is that imposter syndrome i was talking about is where you're feeling like um, maybe I'm not doing the right things. Maybe I don't know enough or you're second guessing yourself. But again, you, you know, if you're actively pursuing education and you're constantly, you know, staying up to date, you're doing your job. You're doing your best as an animal professional. So again, you're going in there with the information you have. And so, uh, you know, I get that a lot, especially with aggression cases. I have lots of trainers that, that are second guessing themselves and worried about their behavior plans. And oftentimes, my job as their teacher is just to validate them that yes, you're doing the right thing here. There's there's really not much I would change, and you're doing you know the information you have there is is what you have. So um, so that's that's the other thing too is the imposter syndrome side. I see that happen a lot with animal professionals. It's hugely common. In fact, I'm just this morning working on um, an outline for a course I'm hoping to do on imposter syndrome because I did a survey back in February and it came out as the number one challenge that the pet professionals who answered um, were facing was imposter syndrome. And I think that a big, big piece of that is that we haven't really defined success the way you just did so beautifully of like, what is my role as a professional? Because it's hard for us sometimes to detach from that, that question of I provided the information and what they do with it is sort of up to them. Our, our tendency toward caring, which is what draws everyone into this profession, sometimes makes us go for that 80-20 ratio, and that is so painful. But the imposter syndrome really creates that 
in many cases. Like I should do more. I'm not doing enough. I need to give more. Right. I, I, I have to take more classes and do more things. And it's probably my fault. And it's really heavy. Yeah, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. And it just starts compounding. So I'm going to take more classes. I'm going to do more. I'm going to work more. I'm going to work harder. And it just adds more stress and it just, yeah, I can still yeah. from there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating cycle how that traps us. Um, it's really very, very difficult. But to bring us back around into aggression. Um, so when you're thinking about aggression, and let's, let's take it back to dogs for a minute. So what, what is, you know, one or two basic tips that you offer everyone dealing with an aggressive dog? So with all aggression cases, first thing is management and safety. That's first thing I do is go in there if and avoiding the triggers or the antecedents for the aggressive behavior in the first place, because it's different than, you know, counter surfing. Let's, let's just use that one. Counter surfing dog jumps up on the counter, grabs a turkey sandwich. Worst thing that happens is the dog, you lose your lunch. <laughs> the dog eats the turkey sandwich and gets reinforced for that behavior. Of course, with aggression though, the consequences are much more severe. The, the impacts on everything, the consequences for the dog, if the dog bites again, the dog and aggressive behavior is highly reinforcing for an animal when they use it because it's making something very scary go away often or a threat to their resources or a threat to themselves. It works for them if they make some, because nobody sticks around when a dog's biting them, right? So aggressive behavior works. And so managing those things, really managing the environment, avoiding the antecedents. And I'm sure some listeners are like, well, what about the dog I'm walking? And I can't avoid walks. But there's always a way to rearrange the environment in most cases where we're going to set that dog up for success by avoiding the aggressive, uh, the triggers for the aggressive behavior in the first place. And then the next thing you want to do, this part two to that is, you're actually reintroducing those triggers or antecedents, but you do it in a way that's setting the dog up for success so we can reinforce desirable behavior. And there's always a way to do that as well. So if it's a dog that barks and lunges at other dogs while out on walks, let's set the stage so we can work with that dog where they see the other dog from a distance and at a level of intensity that they're not going to bark and lunge. So now we can reinforce desirable behavior. So we're setting that dog up for success by making sure the environment's set correctly. And that's number two in the program. So number one, manage it so the dog doesn't get exposed to the stressors, right? Isn't getting cut off by other dogs and, and giving the bird, flip the bird by other dogs. We, we want to stop that from happening in the first place. But then we reintroduce the dogs in a way that we're going to be able to reinforce what we like. So just look at the other dog and that'll pay off for you. Yeah. So it's kind of the, this, this very basic plan and outline, but most aggression cases, you're going to go in that way. And, and that's, that's the process I use. It's very straightforward and simple in the, in the outline. As you know, the execution is going to vary and has to be fine-tuned case by case. But, uh, yeah, those are the two things. In, you know, and one thing I kind of want to mention, too, before we were talking about underlying reasons for aggression, and I know you have a lot of uh, – folks from the veterinary field in your audience. So uh, pain is mm -hmm. one. So pain is an underlying motivation or, or reason for aggressive behavior. You touch my ears when I've had an ear infection, I'm going to bite you. I want to mention this because I've seen such a increase in during the pandemic with everybody being home with their dogs more. Pain is 
hard to detect with some dogs. I mean, it's overt sometimes, dogs limping or, or yelping. Those are overt cases. Most people can see those, but many dogs are very good at masking it or we don't see it. So like the dog goes to dog daycare for the day and the client's like, well, he goes to dog daycare. He can't be really much wrong with him. Then he comes home and at night, the dog's snapping at the owner when the dog is laying down on the bed and they try to pet the dog and the dog snaps. So it doesn't make a lot of sense for them why the dog would snap, but a lot of the times it's underlying pain issues. And I, I really wanted to mention that because right now, such an influx of those because people are home more with their dogs and dogs are not getting enough time to rest and recuperate and their the kids are home and you know the dog never gets a chance to relax. And yeah. Add that into all the other stressors too we were talking about before. So stress mm-hmm. stacking, dog is home with the kids and constantly exposed to stressors all day long. The dog never gets to rest. So um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that my wheels were spinning about you know one of the most overlooked reasons for aggressive behavior in dogs and in people. For a number of years, I had fibromyalgia. I'm much better now, but for a number of years, I had fibromyalgia. And so it was one of those invisible illnesses where some days I would just, everything hurt and other days it didn't. And um, I could tell with my kids, my level of patience on the days that I was in great pain was much lower than the days that I wasn't in so much pain. And it's, it was, Something that I had to, when you go back to that whole self-awareness piece, I had to be very conscious of that within myself because it wasn't fair to my boys to have different rules on different days. You know, today's the day I'm going to be really cranky about you leaving your napkin on the table and tomorrow I'm going to be fine with it. <laughs> but um, so pain is one of the ones that's often missed and pain um, for, for in the human perspective also can come into some of the emotional pain, you know, that people yes. will be worrying or, you know, yes. but because our brains actually respond to emotional pain and physical pain in, in very, very similar ways. So now I know that you are not an expert on human behavior and dealing with aggression, but I'm going to totally throw this question at you because that's what we do here on this podcast. So you said, um, sort of setting setting yourself up for success, using management and safety, really trying to keep things nice and light, and then slowly re- reintroducing things so that you can reinforce the behavior you like is how you will handle most aggressive incidents with dogs. Well, I work in a facility where there's a whole big team, but there's one person who's just crazy and unpredictable, and um, you know she's above me in the hierarchy, so it's not like I can get her fired. So what do you recommend I do? So tell me a little bit more. What is the, what does it look like? In one coaching call from quite a distance ago, I will tell a story. So that's completely anonymous, but um, it was a veterinary technician who had a, who worked in a very big practice. And um, there was a veteran technician who was responsible for teams of vet techs. And this person had poor human skills and excellent animal skills and actually pretty good like logistic skills. So she was good at making a schedule and she was good at dealing with the animal. She was not great at dealing with the human clients and she was really unkind and rude to the team members when there were any sort of flaws, which that woman was not my client, but my thought is she was probably a perfectionist and really wanted everything Like, let me just control everything I can possibly control. But she was driving vet techs away. 
really good, competent vet techs just couldn't work under her because she was micromanaging them and, and fussing at them all the time. Like, you're, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You should have done it differently. So, so that's me. So I'm hypothetically this vet tech who's working for this person who will just out of the blue scream at me for having forgotten something. You know, I left a, I left a syringe on the counter when I left an exam room, which I shouldn't have done. And I agree, I shouldn't have done that. But it's not a screaming offense. <laughs> so, um, for me, I would, you know, if this, again, we're kind of looking at this from the dog angle, it's, for me, it's a lot of the time, the first thing I have to do is establish a relationship or some trusting way of uh, communicating with that animal or person, because if I don't, they're not going to hear anything I have to say. So if I've, I've, if there's something I want to change, if there's some behavior I want to change, I have to have some rapport, some way of communicating first or else there's no open door there. And that can be difficult. So same thing is if I have a dog come charging out and if I had a German shepherd a couple of weeks, I went to go see, and that dog just comes, you know, protected contact, of course, but the dog comes charging out foam, like spit flying. I mean, I was like covered. And so just cause the dog is barking, lunging at the fence. I mean, that it's not a very warm and fuzzy feeling, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. give you, but I have to know that this dog is experiencing something, you know, that, that yeah. it's, it's a threat. So you know, in that particular setting, the veterinary tech might say, okay, these people are being a threat to my workspace. And so how do I change that? I have to first get into making relationships. So with that German Shepherd, I've got to establish trust. And the dog's got to learn that I'm not a threat. I'm not a threat to his space, right? And so that's what I would typically do. And this is also kind of drawing. I used to have a staff of about 80 in my former career working at a casino. And uh, same thing where I would, uh, there was a lot of conflict in the, t- between workers. And so you have to get in there. And you're not going to make much difference, again, if you don't have some way, some some kind of rapport established with that person. So I can have that conversation. You know, What can we do to make this better for you so you don't have to uh, or you don't feel uh, those aren't the right words? So so that your space can be protected or you feel comfortable in your space. And um, then I can have that conversation. So because going back to our conversation earlier about, you know, empathy, what is that person going through that maybe that they feel or that they're, they're behaving in that manner. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'd be my first step. If I'm trying to do, if I'm trying to conflict resolve there, uh, but sometimes, as you know, that doesn't always work. So you might have to tweak your behavior change plan. <laughs> Yes. Well, thank you. You did a great job with this completely unfair question I flung at you. So now I'm going to fling it at you from reverse because <laughs> okay. that's what we do. Um, so now it's it's me and I'm so stressed and I'm doing all the things and um, I'm a dog trainer and I have too many clients that I'm juggling and I try to meet everyone's needs and I'm spending so much time preparing lesson plans and then teaching the lesson and then writing reports. And I am just snarking at every single person I care about. And, um, and they just don't understand. No one understands how much pressure I'm under. And I just cannot stop being this way. And when people tell me things that are incredibly helpful, like chill, or you need to take a day off, I want to hurt them. And I don't have time to do that. So that's my aggression. How should I how should I take a step back and make a plan for myself? 
I think a big part for me, you know, when I'm feeling overwhelmed is I, first thing I do is communicate that is that, uh, and in, in a way that it's not going to come off or be perceived as aggression because uh, we know that aggression usually is met with aggression. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that takes, that's a difficult ask of somebody, right? If they're feeling frustrated, the last thing they're going to often feel is trying to be composed and write some sort of lengthy response. So I will communicate that, you know, here's my schedule and unfortunately I'm busy this week or I'm busy doing this or let people know when I'm, you know, when I'm overwhelmed, I certainly communicate that and I will get back to you, but give me some time on this. So that way it's, it, it communicates that I need, I'm overwhelmed in a sense, you know, without necessarily saying, you know, you got to leave me alone because I'm, I'm going nuts here so that all that you know it's important to communicate i think when you're you're feeling that way because yes you mentioned time off is important so that's the other thing is being uh, having a proactive approach and that's what i found too you know i've I've certainly been on the side of uh burnout and compassion fatigue and and many of the things that we've all of us in this industry uh can be uh, affected by so uh, once i learned that um, you know, I had to kind of self-assess, self-reflect and find out that, yeah, why am I feeling so tired and so just drained by these cases and just don't want to see anybody anymore? No, I don't want to take aggression case anymore. It's like, wait a minute, I'm burnt out. So what do I do about that? I've got to be proactive about this and take the approach of actually scheduling time off for myself and making that almost um, a, a no change rule. So that's what I did. I started to looking at my calendar. I said, okay, I'm going to take this two weeks off. And started actually being really proactive about my time and recharging my batteries during that time. And, mm-hmm. and knowing that, yes, there's many dogs that need my help and I'm getting all these emails coming in and client requests, but I've been steadfast in my rule. I says, I'm sorry, I'm not taking clients right now. However, I have these professionals that will. And if you want to wait, I'm taking clients at this date. And that's worked for me so well because it removes my guilt factor. It removes any kind of worry about you know, because I know the dogs are still able to get help because I've selected yeah. quite a few professionals I refer to. So uh, that proactive approach, I think, can really help when it comes to the back end of things when we're feeling overwhelmed and frustrated, feeling we need to act out on something. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. I think it's really important. It's very difficult to to make that decision and stick to it, but once people do it's like magic. Once they start realizing the benefits of, of carving out and protecting that time. I had a client the other day who told me that she was just feeling more creative and more silly. And I was like, well, that's awesome. And she said, yeah, I think it's actually because I have started taking time off. And she's like, things aren't taking as long as they used to. And the things that do take long, I don't care as much that they're taking long. I'm just kind of like more creative and more silly. (laughs) Oh, the world could use more of that. Right. Yeah. And kind of a side note too, is that, you know, I'm I'm sure a few listeners saying, well, I can't afford to take time off. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't, I have to work. I've got to pay the bills. And that's completely understandable. We, you know, we have to make a living. So make sure when you're structuring that you structure. So I, I structure, for instance, a 10 month work year. So uh, when I'm budgeting, I'm saying, okay, I'm only going to work 10 months, I'm going to make income for 10 months. The other two months, that's if, you know, again, you run your own business. If, uh, 10 months, I'm making money, two months, I'm not. So I need to charge accordingly to make sure I'm making enough in that 10 months so that I can take those two months off. Now, two months spread out over the year, 
one week at a time, a day here, two weeks there, whatever it is. But I think it's mm-hmm. really important because for those taking aggression cases, no one on the planet, no one have I ever met can work aggression cases 12 months a year straight for years. I've never met a single person. And I've, I've met a lot of people that have tried, <laughs> yeah. but have never succeeded for a long term. I, you know, a couple of years of that is a, that's a long run, a long string of emotions and uh, all all the things that can happen when we're working in the animal care industry. So mm-hmm. I always write when at least you know, maximum 10 months of work throughout the year because you need that time off. Yes. So accordingly, it's the, it's yes. The it's there. Well, that's very helpful. You've actually provided such a great structure in this conversation where you've talked about the importance of self-awareness and really focusing on, on your own internal state and what you need and then defining success from a professional point of view and really understanding the balance of what is your responsibility to do and what is your client's responsibility to do, and then setting up a schedule so that when you have downtime, you're actually relaxing, recharging, and 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 fulfilling, refilling yourself so that you can show up and do the work longer and better. Um, and that's all so, so powerful from the perspective of really keeping people engaged and, and in their and in their jobs in a happy way and not just showing up because they have to. So this has been very helpful. I really appreciate all of your thoughts. Oh, it's my pleasure. So if people want to learn more about you and your work, Mike, how could they do that? Well, I've got the main channel, I'll call it, for everything I'm doing right now, aggressivedog.com. And I've got all of my things that I'm up to there. Um, people can follow me on Instagram and Facebook. It's uh, at Michael Shikashio, aptly named for both. <laughs> um, and I've got the Aggression and Dogs Conference coming up October 2nd to 4th this year with uh, 10 really great speakers. And it's a three-day virtual event. I'm really excited for that because it's all about aggression. So I've, I've kind of always wanted to do a conference just focusing on helping dogs with aggression. And this is it. So that's coming up in October. Um, and I've got the master course running year round for the trainers out there that wanted to learn more about, uh, how to help dogs with aggression. It's, um, a 23 module course on working aggression cases from start to finish. Uh, and they can find that again through aggressivedog.com. That is amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking time today, Mike. I'm so grateful to have talked to you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Unleashed at Work and Home. I invite you to come learn more at ColleenPilar.com where you can be steady, be strong, and be long.